Okay, everyone, if I can ask you to find your seats, sit down. We're going to carry on our gathering this morning with our message. I, I did just love the songs we sung this morning and just that kind of desperate prayer and song for the Spirit to meet with us. So I did just want to take a moment to pray before we get into the message today and ask the Spirit to fill us and speak to us and meet us in a powerful way today. So if you can join me in praying. Come Holy Spirit, we welcome you here as fully as we can. We ask that you would speak to us and lead us and guide us and empower us and help us. We pray for your will to be done in our lives, in this room, in our church today. And that even as we leave here today, you would send us out to do your works throughout this week. Amen. So next week, we're going to be finishing up the series, A Day in the Life, looking at Jesus, specifically from Mark chapter 1. And we're going to be looking at Jesus in prayer. So this is one of the passages I love most, uh, maybe in the Bible, definitely in the Gospels, just an example of Jesus in prayer. And we're going to look at that and then get very practical with a couple of different prayer tools, which hopefully will help you as you pray and spend time with God and listen for His voice. But that does also mean that this week is kind of our last week in the series, looking at who Jesus is and what he does and learning more about him and growing in our understanding and response to him together as a church. And really this morning, as we look at this passage, uh, the question I'd love to be at the back of your minds or in your hearts or as you hear this or as we think about this is what is it that Mark wants us to see in this passage? What is he trying to point out? What does he want to highlight? What is he showing us about Jesus in this passage? And this week I was with a friend and we looked at this together. We were talking about the sermon. We were talking about this passage in Mark 1. And he looked through the passage and I said, what stands out to you? And he said a line that I didn't even notice that didn't stand out to me at all. And it's been stuck in my head the whole week since. So this is the title for my sermon today from verse 33. The whole town was assembled at the door. The whole town was assembled at the door. I love that. I was thinking if I wrote a book on Mark chapter 1, that would be a killer title. The whole town was assembled at the door. Stories about the life and teachings of Jesus from Mark 1. It just, it works. It pops and it makes you wonder why. You know, why are they all at the door? What is it they're wanting to see? What is it they're wanting to experience? What is it that they believe about Jesus? What are they hoping for as they stand there and watch what's going on? The whole town was assembled at the door. And in the passage we read today, we're going to see that Jesus teaches, he heals, and he casts out demons. Some exorcism and deliverance going on in this chapter today. So fun Sunday morning. But what Jesus is doing is he's proclaiming the message of the kingdom, and then he's demonstrating the power of the kingdom in his life. And as he spends time with these people in Capernaum and Galilee. And the thing I love about this is Mark is focusing his attention on Jesus, who he is, what he's doing. But then he pans the camera around to this open doorway and shows us all of the people standing there, you know, all of the people from the whole town, all the people standing there wanting to see Jesus and get a touch from Jesus and listen in on what Jesus is saying and maybe experience something of him for themselves. He's wanting us to stand among the crowd and look in and see what is so special about this Jesus. What is it about this man? Who is he? What is it? So as we read this passage today, would you like look at it through that lens? What does Mark want us to see about Jesus? 
And what do we want to leave here believing about him and responding to him in our own lives? So this is Mark 1, verse 21. They went into Capernaum, and right away he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and began to teach. They were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them as one who had authority and not like the scribes. And just then a man with an unclean spirit was in their synagogue, and he cried out, What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I love that line. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit threw him into convulsion, shouted with a loud voice, and came out of him. They were all amazed. And so they began to ask each other, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Again, I love that word. The unclean spirits obey Jesus' authority. And once the news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity of Galilee, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went into Simon. This is Peter the Apostle. They went into Simon and Andrew's house with James and John. And Simon's mother-in-law was lying in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he went to her, took her by the hand, and raised her up. The fever left her, and she began to serve them. Shell and I were talking about this yesterday, and she says, Peter's mom's a feeder. Like, she gets healed, and straight away she hops out of bed, and she looks at these boys, and she goes, Jesus, Peter, Andrew, you guys are fading away, walking all around Galilee and Capernaum. Let me cook you a good meal. I need to fill you guys up before you leave here. Just love that little detail that's there in the scriptures. As soon as she was healed by Jesus, she hops up, and she serves them. And then verse 32, when evening came after the sun had set and the Sabbath was over, they brought to him all those who were sick and demon-possessed, and the whole town was assembled at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and drove out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So in Mark 1, we've got a whole lot of different snapshots of Jesus and a whole lot of examples of who he is and what he's like, the big things that he does. And the three that I want you to see today are that Jesus is a teacher, Jesus is a healer, and that Jesus is an exorcist or deliverer or someone who sets people free. But there are a lot of other pictures going on here in Mark 1. But the first we'll look at is Jesus the teacher. And I love the fact that Jesus is a big Bible guy. I think we don't always think about that when we read a passage like this and we see his power. We don't think about Jesus' huge love for the scriptures. And while I was preparing this week, I was thinking um, about, I guess, Jesus and my relationship. And I was thinking about the fact while I was studying and preparing and thinking about illustrations for this message and typing this up and editing it and all sorts of things, I was thinking Jesus did this kind of work too. Now, maybe not with a laptop and maybe not with the study tools I've got, but Jesus was someone who prepared sermons. He, he'd memorized the scriptures for years growing up, which is something we probably don't often think about because Jesus is God, but he had to memorize the scriptures so that they were in him and that he could teach them. But then he also spent time preparing sermons and thinking about his audience and thinking about the illustrations he was going to use and how he was going to communicate this truth. And I just felt this personal connection to Jesus this week, thinking, I'm a Bible teacher. Jesus was a Bible teacher. He knows what I'm going through. And you might not be someone who teaches the Bible here today, but there's something about Jesus's relatability and humanity in this passage that we need to see. And even if you are not someone who teaches the Bible, we have so much in common with Jesus every day. 
Every day as we wake up, Jesus has woken up in the past. And as we eat breakfast, Jesus ate breakfast. And as we go to work or we go to see people or we go about our daily activities, Jesus walked the same streets and lived in the same world that we lived in. Jesus spent time with people and experienced the same realities of human life, the full spectrum of the experience of humanity that you and I experience. So he gets us. I'm not doing that as in like the NFL Super Bowl, like commercial halftime thing. He gets us. I'm not linked here to that, but he gets, Jesus gets us. He, he gets our lives. He gets what we go through. He, he gets our experiences and our emotions and, of, and all of that. He gets us. He, he was fully human. But something we see in this passage too is not just his humanity, it's his divinity. Jesus fully understands your life and he's experienced the things you experience so that you can relate to him and you can know that he has sympathy for you. But on top of that, Jesus is also divine. He's fully God. And we see this experience as he teaches, the people are amazed and astonished at his teaching and at his power. And they, they say, this, this man is nothing like any of the other teachers we've heard before. There's something unique about him. There's something powerful and authoritative about him. There's something special about this man. So Jesus was a teacher. He was also an exorcist, which is not really a Sunday morning word. You know, maybe Friday night movie, Saturday night movie, but exorcist, deliverer, demon hunter, whatever word you want to use, is not the biggest Sunday morning word. But what I loved here in Mark 1 is seeing that the demons fear Jesus and submit to Jesus. Like they obey him when he says, get out. They listen to him and they obey and they respond and they leave. And I think one of the misconceptions we can have about Jesus is we can rightly believe that Jesus is gentle and kind, but not see him as the warrior king that the scriptures speak about him as being. 1 John 3 verse 8, it says, The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, purpose statement, mission statement of Jesus, to destroy the devil's works. Not like a gentle, feel-good kind of mission. Jesus is a powerful warrior king come into Galilee or Capernaum or North Park 2024 to destroy the works of the enemy, the evil one. He comes with authority and power as the king of a kingdom which is at war with another kingdom. And his kingdom of light is pushing back against the kingdom of darkness, taking ground and coming to see the people that are influenced and affected and under the impact of the kingdom of darkness, to see them come free and live into the life that he's got for them. I think this does feel a little bit foreign to us, you know, living in our world today, thinking about the spiritual reality, but the, the scriptures do teach us that there are demons and there are angels and that Jesus' kingdom is advancing in ways that we can't necessarily see or perceive with our eyes. It's not just in physical or intellectual ways. There are spiritual unseen realities to the way that his kingdom works and is advancing which we might not always think of, or might not always believe, or might not always remember. And I think probably one of the best modern illustrations of this is from the series Stranger Things. Um, some of you might be fans. We've, I, Ethan, I love the enthusiasm. Some of you might be fans, some maybe not. Any booze? One word, no booze. Um, but in Stranger Things, there's this reality that you've got this beautiful, picturesque town of Hawkins. It's like 80s, 90s kind of vibe, a lot of colors, Beautiful music, fun soundtrack, and these kids riding around on their bikes, just having a really good time. And then you've got the upside down, this kind of dark shadow world, mirror world, which is in the same place at the same time. There's this overlap, but it's unseen, full of these monsters who are wanting to break through into the Hawkins that we see in love, into our world, into normal life, and destroy it. 
So we see this beautiful, normal, everyday life and this shadow, dark, monster realm. And in a sense, this is what's going on in Mark chapter 1. We see our lives as they are, but unseen to us is this parallel spiritual dimension and this dark kingdom, which is wanting to ruin the world as we know it. But Jesus' kingdom of light is advancing against it and pushing it back to make things the way they are supposed to be, to bring his rule and reign over all things. And thirdly, we see Jesus the healer. In Revelation 21 verse 4, we have a picture of the future, of the way things will be one day as Jesus' rule and reign is fully realized over all things. And the verse says that he, King Jesus, will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. And as Jesus enters into Capernaum and walks through Galilee, there's the sense of the king walking among these streets and these people and these places, and he's drip-feeding the power of the future into the present. People are experiencing that promise of Revelation 21 in the present, in small bits and pieces, and desiring the more, desiring that reality of what is to come. But as the king is walking through the streets, his kingdom is being experienced. It's being seen and felt and touched by the people. And we long for the reality of the future. Well, even now in this church, in our lives, we see some of the answered prayers and some of the healings or some of the freedom or or some of the power of God in our lives and community and through us. We see some, but we long for more. We see some, but we don't see all of it. We get a taste of it, but we don't get the full thing. And we long for the day when it is to come. There's no more sickness or pain or stress or tears or disappointment or sadness. And we see the specific individual healing of Peter's mother-in-law. We know Peter well, if you're like a fan of the Bible, if you know the scriptures well. Peter, who travels with Jesus, who really is one of the leaders in the early Jesus movement. We see his mother-in-law getting healed. And we see this man in the synagogue getting delivered and set free in a really loud, wild way. The way that would make us feel really uncomfortable if it happened here today with screaming and shouting and convulsing in the floor. But Jesus shows us in Mark 1 that he meets different people in situations in different ways. He heals one person, one woman in a very calm, ordinary, every day at home, takes her by the hand. She hops up and makes a meal. And then there's one other guy who makes a huge noise. It's a wild situation. No one knows what's going on. We're seeing that Jesus ministers in a really unique, specific way in each situation that he's in. And Mark zooms out and he shows us the crowds of people, uh, the whole town standing at the door looking in to see. And then he zooms in to show us these individuals because he wants us to know that Jesus' ministry has a face. It's not just this nameless, faceless crowd of people. It's unique individuals like you and I with stories and needs and struggles encountering the power and authority and life of Jesus just in ordinary life. So whatever the impression you get from these few verses, Mark who writes this biography is wanting us to see Jesus as a man of power and authority. He's wanting us to see Jesus as a man of power and authority who meets these different people in special ways. And as this happens, news about him is spreading everywhere and more people are coming. There's something about Jesus that makes people tell others and those people come to him because they want whatever is going on. They want to see it. They want to experience it for themselves. 
And just as those few disciples first started to follow Jesus and that crowd grew and then all of a sudden there's thousands around him. Even to this day, Jesus has marked our worlds. He marks some of the ordinary events of our lives. I love this quote from John Ortberg in his book, Who Is This Man? A book, a really beautiful book about Jesus. He says, it is in Jesus's name that desperate people pray, that grateful people worship, and angry people swear. From christenings to weddings to sick rooms to funerals, it is in Jesus' name that people are hatched, matched, patched, and dispatched. I just love that. I'd heard that once before. I think that's really catchy. Hatched, matched, patched, and dispatched. Jesus marks all of these moments and so many other moments in our lives because there's something about Jesus. And because of all these things, the whole town was assembled at the door, wanting to see this man and see, see what he was doing and understand it more. And Mark writes about them, that they were astonished as they heard his teaching and amazed as they saw his power and they wanted to be around this man. Jesus was proclaiming and demonstrating his kingdom everywhere he was, doing, everywhere he was going and we see his kingdom bringing this change in a whole lot of different ways. So for example, we see as he teaches and as he brings truth, his truth is replacing lies. And as he heals, the sick are made well and the unclean are cleansed. And as he delivers or casts out demons, we see these people set free and undemonized, or whatever word you want to use. And the kingdom of God is clashing with the kingdom of darkness and light is shining into the darkness and replacing it. There is change, this great exchange that's going on as Jesus comes into these places and does his ministry with an old way being replaced by a new way. And I want to look at one last encounter at the end of Mark 1, which I think depicts this best. If you read from verse 39 with me, it says that Jesus went into all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out the demons. And that's really a picture of what we've read so far. That that's what his ministry looked like. Then a man with leprosy came to him and on his knees begged him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I love this line, moved with compassion. Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing, he told him, be made clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And then he sternly warned him and sent him away at once, telling him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet he went out and began to proclaim it widely and spread the news, which is probably what I would do too. Like, this man healed me. This man has changed my life. You've got to come and see him. You've got to meet him for yourself. He went out and began to proclaim it widely and spread the news with the result that Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but he was out in deserted places and they came to him from everywhere. That last line has really impacted me as I've prepared, and I'll show you why in just a moment. But there is something kind of downplayed as we read this first line. A man with leprosy came to him. Because we don't see too many lepers around these days. You know, in Jesus' ministry, we see a lot of lepers coming to him, asking for healing and asking for help. And there are Jewish writings from the time that give specific instructions about what to do if you've got a leper in town or if you have leprosy or something like that. Because this was a serious and problematic disease. And there was a lot of fear and superstition linked to leprosy because people weren't sure about this thing. It was hard to diagnose and very hard to clean people from. So people struggled with this 
for the rest of their lives. This was like a life sentence. And even in the scriptures, Leviticus 13 and 14 in the Old Testament are devoted to talking about leprosy. It's like this ancient dermatological kind of manual going on in the scriptures because this was such a big deal. And in Leviticus 13, we read this about lepers. It says in verse 45 and 46, the person who has a case of serious skin disease is to have his clothes torn and his hair hanging loose, and he must cover his mouth. I'll try this as best as I can. And cry out, unclean, unclean. He will remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He must live alone in a place outside the camp. So these people who got leprosy or these serious skin diseases had to leave town. They had to leave their families. They had to leave their community of faith and go out and be isolated and alone in the middle of nowhere. They lost everything, really. And then they had to make sure that people could identify them as lepers. So they ripped up their clothes. They grew their hair and beards all shaggy. So if anyone saw them, they'd say, leper, stay away. And then if they got close to anyone, they had to shout this word, unclean, unclean, like red lights going off. Danger, danger, stay away from me. Because they were such outcasts. So they were rejected. They, they lost everything. This was a, a stigma and a life sentence which was attached to them because of this sickness, this thing that they couldn't control, which took everything away from them. They were so robbed by it. I think in 2020, we got a taste of this during COVID when there was just fear and uncertainty about this disease, about this virus. Now, I'm sure all of us had experiences where either we had COVID or someone that we knew and cared about had it, and we didn't know what that was going to mean. And we had to isolate. We had to be locked away from each other and miss out on significant events and moments. And some of us had these moments where there were these relays where we would have an exposure and have to isolate and then another exposure. And we missed out on these things that were going on, these beautiful moments, and felt scared and uncertain of what was going to happen. It was a weird time. But for these lepers, this was the rest of their lives. For the rest of their life, they would be isolated and alone and disconnected from the people they cared about. And they had no real hope. And the Bible never speaks about healing for those who've got leprosy, but it speaks about cleansing for them. This, this leprosy is a disease, but it's almost seen more as a symbol of sin that needs to be cleansed from people in the scriptures. So this man comes to Jesus, and he shouldn't. <laughs> he should stay away from Jesus. He comes close to Jesus. He gets down on his knees and begs Jesus to heal him because he knows that he can. And Jesus comes close to him and responds and says, I am willing, be made clean. So we've seen Jesus, the teacher, Jesus, the demon hunter, Jesus, the healer. But here we see Jesus, the compassionate, and Jesus, the one who is able to wash people clean and set them free and remove shame and remove the stigma attached to their lives from some of the things that mark them, make their identity. I mean, he would have walked around shouting unclean. This is who I am. I am an unclean man, and Jesus comes and removes that stigma and that curse from his life. And verse 41 is actually a really interesting verse. It's a bit of a, gives the you know, commentators and theologians a, a, a wrestle with interpreting it, because the word in the original manuscripts means angry, but it's always been translated as compassion. So Jesus moved with compassion, reached out his hand, and touched him. And that makes sense. Jesus shows compassion to this man. But the, the original manuscripts all say Jesus moved with anger, reached out his hand, and healed him. 
And there's different ways of interpreting that and what is going on there. But it seems that Jesus did heal this man in anger. He was angry at what was going on. And the most likely reason for that is Jesus looks at this man and the situation he finds himself in. He's got a sickness which is impacting his life. And not only that, is it's robbed everything from him. It's made him a victim. It's made him an untouchable and undesirable, this outcast, this person whose whole life is marked by the stigma so that everything has been taken away from him. Jesus looks at this and he looks at the way things are in this world and he says it should not be this way. He's angry at the brokenness of this world. He's angry at sickness. He's angry at the sin that has done this to this man. And in anger, he reaches out his hand with compassion to heal this man and set him free. And he touches him. And this man is healed. I am, don't think we could ever fully grasp this because of our culture and our context. But Jesus becomes ceremonially unclean when he touches this leper. He was clean and the man was unclean. But choosing to touch the man made Jesus unclean and the man clean. This man is washed clean and healed and Jesus is instantly unclean because of touching this man. And Jesus, rather than turning from him, turns to him. And Jesus, rather than choosing to heal with a word, which he could have done. Jesus, in other places, just heals someone with a word. Sometimes he doesn't even see the person. He's in a different locality. He's like, they're healed, and it's all good. Jesus chooses to touch this person and take on his uncleanness so that this man can be made clean and can be set free. It's a beautiful picture. Jesus, not just bringing physical healing to this man, but bringing dignity and restoring life. Shell reminded me of um, a really beautiful moment. Um, season five of The Crown came out uh, a few weeks ago. I don't expect any of you to be big Crown people. I know this is the wrong country for that, but um, ugh, I love it. Thank you, Ryan. At the end of season four, for those of you who watched, was an episode called War, and there's a scene from a historical moment in 1989 where Princess Diana went into uh, an AIDS unit in a hospital in Harlem. And she went into this unit and walked among people who in the 80s were um, really marked by stigma. A lot of people wrongly believed that just by casually touching someone that had HIV or AIDS that you could contract the virus or the disease yourself. This would impact your life forever. And Princess Diana walked through that ward and greeted people and interacted. But this photo um, is one that's become really famous of her looking down at a little seven-year-old patient in his blue pajamas. And she looked at him and she said, um, let me get this right. She said to him, are you very heavy? And then she leant down and scooped him up in her arms and embraced him. Such a beautiful moment, removing some of the stigma globally that people associated with this virus and disease. And, Many people believe that was the moment she became the people's princess. You know, she'd lost something of her title in that moment, but in people's hearts, it was a deep connection. And here you've got a moment where one of the most famous people on the planet, a princess, someone who'd been part of the royal family, doesn't just go to a place, but does what for so many people was so abhorrent. She scoops this little boy up and embraces him with deep compassion and shows him love. Last night when I was just finishing up preparing, I watched um, the scene from The Chosen where Jesus encounters this leper. And I just wanted to see it visualized, and it was a really beautiful thing. It's worth going on YouTube and checking it out. 
But there's this scene where Jesus and his disciples are talking, and all of a sudden, uh, a woman screams, and everyone turns to see what is going on, and you see the leper coming towards Jesus and the disciples. And uh, the disciples are so funny. They say things like, stand back. One of the other disciples pulls his shirt up and says, don't breathe the air that he's breathing. And one of the other disciples pulls out his knife and says, keep away from us. And, you know, just doing normal Christian stuff like that. Um, (laughs) And then Jesus moves towards the man and they all warn him. They say, Jesus, he's diseased. He's sick. Don't get close to him. And Jesus, I think he turns and smiles at them and then he moves towards the man. And uh, the man gets down on his knees and he begs Jesus for healing um, and says, you can, if you want to, you can make me clean. And Jesus looks at him and he says, I am willing, be made clean. And he touches the man. And in this scene, I don't know if this is what really happened. The man cries, but also giggles. (laughs) There's like a, there's like a, a deep joy because you don't know the last time this man was touched by another person. You don't know the last time this man was as close to another person (laughs) as he was at this moment. Pause for dramatic effect. Ah. And Jesus touches this man and heals him. And you see these uh, lesions on his skin start to fade away. And the disciples can't believe what's going on. They're like gasping, seeing this happening. Um, And they stand up. And Jesus turns to the disciples and he says, who's got a a tunic for this man? And it's kind of comical. Uh, This isn't in the scriptures. This is a bit of artistic license. But all of the disciples rummage through their bags trying to get a tunic for him. You know, a second ago, they had their knives out. They're like, get away from us. Now they want to be part of this miracle. You know, they've just seen Jesus heal this man. Now they want to get involved and this can be part of their story too. And one of them runs forward with a tunic. And Jesus puts the tunic on this man who would have worn torn clothes just so that everyone could just see from his appearance, this man has leprosy. Jesus isn't just healing him, he's trying to clothe him with dignity so that this man could go into town and be around people again. And it's a green tunic, and Jesus says, you look really good in green. It's, it's a really beautiful scene to see. And then Jesus embraces him and sends him on his way, warning him not to tell anyone about what he's done. And in Mark 1, we see this outstretched arm of Jesus the King and his healing touch, removing the sickness that has bound this man for we don't know how long, and removing the social stigma attached to him and removing the spiritual separation that this man had experienced and setting him free so that he can live a new life. And the touch of Jesus here speaks much more loudly than words. Jesus is not only able, but in his anger for justice, and his compassion for this person, and his power, he touches him and embraces him and heals him and transforms his entire life. I am willing, be clean, Jesus says. But then in verse 44, it says, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. And this might seem unusual to us. Like, this is just extra detail, I don't need this detail, Jesus. We get it. You healed him. Let's move on to the next thing. But this is really big because, yes, this man has been healed. His sickness is gone. But everyone knows this man is the leper. You know, he's had to leave his community. He's had to leave his family and friends because of his leprosy. So Jesus says, I need you to go to the temple and go and see the priest. This is going to be an eight-day journey all the way to Jerusalem. That's where he needed to go. 
It's going to take him time to get there and get back. This is inconvenient. It's going to cost him a bit of money. But he needs to get this note from the priest saying, you are clean, so that he can come back into a relationship in the place that he lives. When he comes back, not just healed and not just clothed, but with this letter, he can resume the life he had before, and he can live amongst this community. So Jesus is wanting to set him free. And we read this last verse in the passage in verse 45, which again is a verse I would often just glance over. And it says, he went out and began to proclaim it widely. Jesus sternly says, don't tell anyone about what I've done. You might think this is just reverse psychology on Jesus's part. He's saying, don't do it knowing this man's going to tell anyone, but it's not. Jesus says, don't tell anyone, but just like probably all of us would do, he goes and tells everyone. He began to proclaim it widely and to spread the news with the result that Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but he was out in deserted places and they came to him from everywhere. And Mark began the story with Jesus on the inside and the leper on the outside. And at the end of the story, Jesus is the one who is outside in deserted places and this leper has been brought in to the inside. Jesus and the leper have traded places. Jesus has taken on this man's burden, his isolation, and his bondage so that the leper could be free. And at the heart of the gospel, we find a savior who is not just willing to take our place, but who chooses to take it for us. Not because it doesn't cost him anything, but out of his infinite love. Jesus died on the cross in our place for our sin. He takes our burden on himself that we might be free and that we might enter into fellowship with God. He is excluded and rejected so that we might be included and accepted. It's the great exchange. As Jesus comes into a place, light replaces darkness, truth replaces lies, freedom replaces bondage, healing replaces sickness, and people are made right with God and one another. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul the Apostle writes it this way, he made the one who did not know sin, Jesus, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And we said this already in verse 22, they're amazed at his teaching. In verse 27, they're astonished at his power. But at the end of this chapter, we are amazed and astonished at the beauty of Jesus. Not just what he does and not what he says, but who he is. The person of Jesus is just so beautiful and compelling. We serve a king who lays down his life for his people. And Mark 1 ends with these words. Jesus is outside because he needs to stay away because everyone is coming from everywhere to be with him because the whole town is assembled at the door. They keep hearing this news. They want to see. They want to be around Jesus. They want to experience it for themselves. And there's an invitation from this passage today to come to Jesus in this way, to bring our needs to him, to bring our sicknesses to him, to bring lies we might be believing to him, where we feel bound and unable to get free, to bring that to him and to invite Jesus into those places to bring his salvation. But there is another deeper layer that Mark is wanting us to see here. And it's where I want to end before we go into communion and worship. It's that the danger with a passage like this is that we just come to Jesus for what he can give to us. We just come to him for truth. We just come to him for healing. We just come to him for freedom, but we don't come to him for him. We see that Jesus is useful. Look at how he's changed these people's lives. 
but we don't see him as beautiful. And Mark wants us to see the beauty of Jesus. As um, Shell and I talked about that princess die moment, and I looked at that picture, I felt really emotional just thinking of a princess who is willing to scoop up a child in her arms, a child so linked to stigma and fear and uncertainty, and just give dignity and love. But in Mark 1 and in the Gospels, what we see is a king who doesn't just embrace us, but who gives his life for us, takes on our burdens to give us a new life in him. Mark is showing us the beauty of Jesus so that we won't just find him useful, but so that we will worship him and follow him with our lives. Could I ask you to stand with me? We're going to do a few things this morning to conclude. Um, we're going to take communion in just a second and sing some songs of worship. You guys can come up. Um, and after communion, if any of you do want prayer for anything, we'll have a few people at the front that can pray for you. If you are sick and you want to be healed, if you are feeling bound and you want to be free, if you want to see the beauty of Jesus uh, and you don't, maybe, maybe today you want to become a Christian, you want to respond to Jesus in that way, take the next step in beginning to follow him, you can do that. But before we do that, we're coming to the table to eat the bread and drink the wine, which reminds us of the beauty of this Jesus who takes on our burdens who takes on our shame, who takes on our sin, who takes on our sicknesses and makes us new. And maybe there's something this morning that you presently want to give to Jesus, a sin or a burden or a struggle. Or maybe you want to look back and remember something from your past that Jesus has taken on, that Jesus has taken from you, that he has washed you clean of. In Mark 1, we see a man who is given a new life, and in Jesus, we have also been given a new life. So as we come to the table, that's what we come to celebrate. If you're not a Christian here today, uh, we don't expect you to do this because this is a, a moment of worshiping Jesus, of responding to the new life we've received. But if this morning you want to become a Christian and enter into that new life and experience that great exchange, we'd love to take communion with you this morning and celebrate that decision. But here we come, in a sense, to bring all of our stuff to Jesus and receive his righteousness, to receive his forgiveness, to receive his cleansing as that leper was cleansed, and to enter into the new life he has. I'm just going to close this out really quickly. Um, something that I was thinking about, besides that grant looks really good in green, um, is that uh, the leper, like, the clothes were torn it was very obvious what was wrong with him um what like the scars that he had the burdens that he bore and i was thinking about us and i think that most of us kind of try to go around and hide those things um and it, it not even that yeah we try to hide them but also like we don't have to show them like i, I can't see your scars um i can't see the burdens that you carry and i think that one way um, that we're called to be like Jesus, why that like body metaphor is so prevalent in the Bible is that we all are different pieces of one body. And like you might have really bad skin, but maybe I'm really good at skincare. Or like you have a bad 
um, foot, but somebody else is like really a great kicker or something. And I think that Jesus is calling us to like reveal um, our brokenness to each other, um, to like tear our clothes and say, I need help. Um, that we can look at the leper like bowing down before Jesus, like coming with this, um, this great need because we have great need. And Jesus is the only person who can really meet that need. Um, and, but we like get the privilege of, of helping along the way. And so um, just, this is just such a beautiful community of um, broken people. And I think that um, I just really feel like Jesus wants us um, to know um, through each other of how much he can um, like heal us and be with us and how much he cares for us. So I'll pray for us and then that's it. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice, um, that your body literally became broken so that we could be whole. Um, and I just pray that this morning that we uh, feel, we feel that, like physically, um, that we are whole because of you, uh, that we, in our great need, um, can come to you um, over and over and over again, that each time we're broken, um, that you can make us new. And um, yeah, that, that you want to do that, that you're for us, that you're with us, that you care about us, you're our champion. Um, you want to give us um, these new things, uh, these new clothes to put on and like tell us how good we look. Like, what a gift. Um, Thank you for allowing us to do that for each other, too, that to partner with you in your work um, as beautiful, broken people um, who need you and have you. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.